0: Turn in your copy of Scripture to Joel chapter 2. What a beautiful time of crying out to God for Him to do a mighty work of grace in our lives and in our church. See, what we want, whether we know it or not, but what we really want, we don't want just what we can concoct. We don't want a life that we can create in our own wisdom and our own intellect because the reality is my wisdom's not enough, my intellect is not enough, my strength is not enough for the life that we desperately yearn to know. know. We need a life that only God can give us, and so we need to seek Him on His terms. And the message that we're looking at in Joel is a message of how God takes what is broken And brings it to life again, and makes us whole, and takes uh, what we've lost and restores it, and so that we might live in abundance. It is a message of the gospel that we find throughout Scripture. Um, You remember in in Luke's Gospel, Jesus uh, tells the story of something lost that's found. There were hundred sheep. One sheep goes missing and the shepherd goes and he finds the one sheep that's lost and he brings it home and everybody is happy. And there's a lady who had 10 coins and she lost one coin and and she sweeps and searches the house until she finds the one coin that was lost and, and she finds it and everybody's happy. And then there's a dad who had two sons and one decides to go off and live a careless, wayward life in a wilderness of his own making. And, and, and the son that that stayed and the father stay at the house, but the wayward son goes off. And, and finally, he comes to the end of himself in Luke 15. It says that when he came to himself, he got up and he went home. He said, it's better to be a servant in my dad's house than living the life I've got right now. In Luke 15, it says that the father looked down the road and And when he saw his son still far off, he ran and he greeted him. He covered him in kisses and and the son started his speech. The speech of the son was, you know, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the dad wouldn't let the son finish his speech. He said, oh, my goodness, bring a robe, the robe reserved for my son, and put it on him. And bring the ring, the ring of my son, and put it on him. And take sandals and put it on his feet. For my son who was lost is found. The one that was dead is now alive. And they killed a calf, and they had a party. Only the legalist couldn't handle the party. He didn't like it at all. That's the message of your life and mine. We were lost in our sin, dead in our trespass, but God in his great love sent Jesus to to build a bridge between us and a holy God, and we were dead, but Jesus made us alive. We were broken, but God restored us and put us into his family. Today, we can rejoice because we were broken and we've been made whole. The message of Scripture is a message of God's grace doing restoring work. It's the message of Joel. You remember Joel chapter 1, bad things are happening. A locust plague has come. Did you know in 2003 there was a plague of crickets in Utah and Idaho and those western states? A plague of crickets that cost $25 million in lost crops, devoured third or a half of of different farmers' crops, and that's 2003. The the reports go that um, you could uh, uh, take one step and kill 10 of the crickets or grasshoppers. Now, in in CNN article, it says that the roads in that part of the country uh, were mired with the dead crickets. They, they just covered the roadway. You couldn't even get up an incline because of all the crickets. So what the children of Israel were facing, what Judah was facing in, in, in Joel chapter 1 and, and beginning Joel 2 is, is something that happens. It's not make-believe. It's not a fairy tale. And it was devouring all the crops and the children of Israel were in, in trouble and they didn't know how to overcome it. We saw last week in, in Joel 2, verses 1 through 17, that the, the key for us is repentance. In fact, the message that we're looking at today, it's repentance invites restoration. And so, if you want restoration in your life, if you want, if you want old things made new, if you want good things to come instead of the bad, here's the key. It is repentance. Repentance invites restoration and what we're going to see today is restoration invites rejoicing when we begin to understand the process of God's promise that when we as his people repent and continually repent every time you sin repent every time I'm unfaithful repent when we are in a constant state of repentance, then we are in a constant state of God restoring. And when we're in a constant state of God restoring, then we can be in a constant state of rejoicing. I understand. Look, I get it. I, I get it. I live this life too. I'm not up in some little fairy tale, kind of cloudy, kind of living existence. I live, this, I, I live this life like you live this life. I face the same drama and the same disappointments and the same confusion that you face the downstairs air conditioning is not working last night before i went to bed saw a leak on our roof on the ceiling yeah right that's a locust plague in my book you know what I'm talking about? I mean, we live real life. We all face the struggles and the troubles of everyday life. We got, I got it. I get it. But the promise that God gives us every day is that we can rejoice even when the crickets are devouring the crops. The the promise that we find in Scripture today and that that Joel gives us and that God delivers to us is that yes, even though, even though there's this real army or imaginary army or locust army, whatever it is that's coming to attack us, when we live our lives submitted to God in, in right relationship with Him, aligned to his will then we have reason for rejoice because God is doing a restoring work and guys I gotta tell you our church needs it I mean we have lived a couple of locust plagues as a church first Norfolk we've lived a couple of locust plagues we had a plague come when they started building stuff over here and it created all kinds of chaos and trouble for us we had another plague when it came to the locusts COVID itself, and then all the crazy that that created in our family of faith. Yeah, we've had some locust plagues, but I got to tell you that the locust plague never has the final say for the people of God. We are a people here today that as long as we are in a posture of repentance before a holy God, submitted to Him, yielded to Him, purposely seeking Him, then we will find restoration, and restoration leads to rejoicing. Amen. So here we are. And by the way, Jesus also promised something. All right, so in Matthew, Matthew's gospel, we, we hear Peter say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, uh, oh, blessed be you, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And, and I'm here to say that, that upon this rock, Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of will not prevail against it. Uh, we're part of that promise. We are First Norfolk, we're part of that promise. As long as we, the church, corporately, are committed to a posture of repentance and submission before a holy God, then we can live in the promise of his restoring work. And as we live in the promise of his restoring work, then we can shout hallelujah and rejoice because God doesn't do anything halfway. God is in the business of restoring. So in Joel chapter 2 and and verses 1 through 17, it was a call to repentance, and and we heard that call to repentance. Now in verse 18, it becomes pretty clear that the people had gotten together in a sacred assembly just like we are right here, just like we did last week. And, And the people repented. Now listen to verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 and 19, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. We can rejoice today because God passionately loves us. The restoring work of God is an act of his love. And verse 18 says that he is zealous and compassionate. Now, zealous means protected. It it means guarding. It means faithful. Can I tell you something about God's love? God's love is jealous for you and me in that he protects us. And God's love is jealous for you and me in that he is faithful to us. Get this. He's faithful to us even when we're unfaithful to him. That's the jealousy of God's love. The jealousy of God's love is such that that God, who loves us so much, and by the way, we know that He loves us because He's shown us that love. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced that love, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, so that through faith in Him and turning from our sin, we are brought into the very family of God, made fit for God's family, not through our righteousness, not through the good stuff that we do, but we made... We're made fit for God's family because of Christ's righteousness, because of the good that He did. And He's transferred His righteousness to sinners like you and me. Oh, the great grace of a loving God. Here's what God has done for us. By the way, if you think that you are fit for God's family because you're a good religious person, you are fooled. It doesn't work like that. Oh, our, our good religious works are filthy rags inside of a holy God. There is not one of us that are good. No, not one. All of us are sinners before a holy God, and yet God sent Jesus to rescue us. Behold, he says, I'm sending you the rescue right now. That's his love. Oh, gracious me. My soul, can I, can I ask you, why in the world would we want to focus on the doom and the gloom of life when we've got the message of hope ringing in our soul every day i am rescued by god's grace and he loves me the creator of the universe loves us he loves us he loves us in spite of how bad he loves me even even when i'm just an old dumb idiotic self-centered self-focused Sinful me, and he loves me still, and he's jealous for me. God's love is jealous, and that means that he is uh, protective, he wants to secure us. You you look, um, look at verse 20 and 21, it says, um, I will remove far from you the northern army, and I will drive away. Him into a barren and desolate land, and his face toward the eastern sea, and his back toward the western sea, and his stench will come up, and his foul odor will rise, because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. God God in his love makes us secure. And in verse 20, he says that this locust army, the northern army, or whatever that army is, that enemy that comes to rob us of joy, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to tackle that army because you repented before me. You aligned your heart with mine. And because you came to me, the umbrella of my love has never moved. The umbrella of God's love never moves. We move outside of the protection of that umbrella. Now listen, whenever you and I decide that we're going to go our own way rather than God's way, we move outside the protection of God's love. We've moved outside the umbrella. And when we repent, we come back under the umbrella of God's protection and His love. So where are you? Are you under the umbrella or are you outside the umbrella? Under the umbrella or outside the umbrella? You know, I say, well, I'm I'm under the umbrella. But but really? And we've got to do daily journey in our life and our heart and our ambitions. And are is there anything in me, anything in me, that is contrary to the will of God and the word of God? If there is, I gotta turn from it. So I can be under the umbrella of his protection. So when I'm under the umbrella of God's love, he says, okay, you're under the umbrella of my love. So I'm going to take all the ugly, and I'm going to replace it with all the good. That's what God does. 20 and 21, he says, this, this army, this enemy that has robbed you of life and joy and peace, this army and this enemy, guess what? I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to remove it. Because you've come under the umbrella of my love, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to secure you in the grip of my grace. Now, how does he do it? I want you to see something. Verse 20, it says, New King James Version, it says that this this army has done monstrous things. In verse 21, it says that the Lord has done wondrous things, marvelous things. The word for monstrous in verse 20 and the word for marvelous in verse 21 is the exact same word in the Hebrew language. What is the difference? The difference is the God God who loves us applies his love to the situation. And God, because we're under the umbrella of his love, God transforms the monstrous into marvelous. God takes us, look, God takes us where we are. And he, man, he knew, he knew before the beginning of time that Eric needed a lot of extra help. And so in his love, he prepared that help for me. When I'm under the umbrella of his love, he secures me. And he takes even the monstrous things that I do and he makes marvelous things out of them. I may walk with a limp for the rest of my life, but that limp, even the limp becomes marvelous because it's a reminder of God's grace. And God's love is transformative. And God secures us because of his love I, he, even more than that God, God's love because, he, because he's compassionate he pities us God, God's love takes what is lost and he replaces it with something good and better I, 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 just, just quickly reading verses 22 through 25 don't be afraid by the way verse 21 fear not Fear not, be glad and rejoice. Verse 22, do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first of the month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat. The vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. So, all right, so what's the message? All right, you remember chapter 1. The locust had eaten the grain and the wine and the oil, and there are no crops, and and there's a famine in the land. There's a drought in the land. Now what God promises, he says, okay, that may be true, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. Because you repented, because you came back under the umbrella of my love for you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I, I'm, I'm gonna make the crops spring up, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to make... Uh, uh, the, the, the the wine vats fill and overflowing. I'm, I'm going to make the threshing floor full, and, and, and there's going to be plenty of food. I'm going to bring not only the, the, the former rain, but the latter rain. I'm going to bring the latter rain first of the month. It is going to be glorious. The promise is God takes what's broken. And he makes it whole and makes it better. Can I tell you, verse 19, he says, behold, I will send. The very first phrase, behold, I will send. The construction of the language there. You know what it means? He says, hey, look, you might not see it yet, but I'm already working on your behalf. You might not know it yet, but I'm already working. The rain is on its way and it's already pouring in some places, you need to understand that God is working right now. You might not feel it. You might not see it. But God in his love is working for you because you're under the umbrella of his love. You're aligned with him. God's love, man, that... That sustains us and secures us. God in his love restores. It's the prodigal son. The prodigal son was rejoicing. It wasn't just the dad that delighted in his son's return, but the prodigal son rejoiced because he was lost. Now he's found, not only found, he's no longer a servant. He is a son. He is brought in and restored to full status of sonship. Look, God looks upon you. No matter how far off you've gotten, no matter how off track you've been, God looks at you and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and he treats you like a son, and he treats you like a daughter. Full status, full privilege, full grace, full mercy. We rejoice because God passionately loves us. We rejoice because we are fully, abundantly satisfied. We rejoice because God in his love provides for us in such a way that we are abundantly satisfied in him. I know that all of us have appetites for different things other than God. And some of you are here today and that's, that's one of your big problems. I know it's one of my big problems. I, I want to be satisfied with something other than God. And you know what they call that in the Old Testament? Call that an idol. And that, that's the problem that we have is that we have a bunch of idols that we hold on to. And we're happy for God to destroy the idols that don't uh, hold sway over us. But there's one little pet idol I've got in my life and I'm going to hold on to it. And God, I do not you can't touch that. And that's what causes not satisfaction, but dissatisfaction. That's what causes discontent in our soul. Discontent happens because we're looking to something other than God Himself to satisfy us. Now, look at verse 26 and 27. God says, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And you're going to praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall not be put to shame. The fields are growing, and the barns are full and overflowing, and God is lavish in his generosity toward us. And we can be satisfied. Remember the story in John chapter 6. Jesus is, uh, what, at the beginning, Jesus has fed a multitude with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And he's fed 5,000 people. And, and then he, he walks across a lake. Uh, and, and the crowd looks for him the next morning. And they, they search around the lake. And here he's over on the other side. So they go to the other side and they find him. And there he is, and when I say he walks across the lake, dude walked on water kind of thing. So Jesus is on the other side, and the people come, and they say, can you give us more bread? You know, they, they, had, the, they had the grind of grumbling stomachs, and maybe you're here today, and, and you have the grind of a grumbling stomach. You're longing for some physical something. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying when your grumbling stomach has greater priority and thinking that's going to satisfy you in a more significant way than Jesus, then you've missed it. I've missed it. That's right. So Jesus says, you only follow me, you're only searching for me because I fed you bread. And, and they said, we want more bread. And so Jesus, you remember what Jesus said, verse 35, John 6, 35. He said, I'm the bread of life. You now that means I'm the bread that's going to give you life. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst again. And Jesus is saying something there that I think Joel is pointing at here and something that Scripture tells us from beginning to end. The only way you and I are going to be satisfied is when Jesus is our life. Psalm 63, read it a few minutes ago. The psalmist said, because your loving kindness is better than life, I shall praise you with my lips i got to ask, because maybe this is the reason why you're so dissatisfied or why I'm dissatisfied, is is God better than life for you? Better, more important, more significant. To be a follower of Jesus and to be satisfied at the same time God must be better than life for us. More important. Greater priority. And maybe that's that's what's causing your discontent. I, I said this in the earlier service, and I I, I don't want to rail about it, but I do want to say it. Um, people who come to church and are filled with dissatisfaction because their own particular idea of what they want is not being satisfied. That's a wrong-headed view of church. If you come here and you are dissatisfied with the music so you're going to leave, can I tell you, you you can leave but you're going to be dissatisfied somewhere else at other churches. You know why? Because your focus is wrong. What makes church satisfying is not the music or the preacher or the person. What makes church satisfying is God himself. We gather here today, and can I humbly suggest that if your focus isn't God, God, I want to see you in all your power and your glory. God, I want to know you. I want to worship you. Now, look, if it's a church where God is not preached and Christ is not exalted and the Spirit of God does not have room to move, I get it. But that's not this church. This church, the Bible is taught as the absolute truth of God's word. Jesus Christ is exalted as the only king of creation. God is, is honored as the sovereign Lord. The Spirit of God has room to move. Although we're Baptists, we could always do better than that. So if you leave this church, it's not because of the church. It's because of your focus. I, mean, I know that sounds kind of harsh, and maybe you and I guarantee you somebody's going to send me that. Was self serving, preacher. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you. <laughs> Say it for the people in the back. <laughs> I thought you were about to shout me down. I got a little bit nervous. <laughs> hey, listen. I just want us to be healthy. I really do. I want us to be healthy as a church. I want you to be healthy as a follower of Jesus. I want to be healthy as pastor and husband, as a father. See, I don't even have to say it anymore, do I? I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. I want us to be healthy. The pathway to health is understanding the source of satisfaction. And the only way that you and I can be satisfied is when we really believe that the Lord God is in our midst, verse 27, that he's with us. And if he's with us, that means he's for us. The only way we can be satisfied, the only way we can be healthy, the only way that that we stay under the umbrella of God's love and, and, and find his protection and his passion for us is when we submit to God because he is the Lord our, my God. See, I believe that the greatest need of our church and every church is this. It's the greatest need in my life. To humble myself before the mighty hand of God, that he might lift me up. In one phrase, the book of Joel is summarized. In one phrase, the pathway to health is set for you and for me. We can be restored. And that restoration invites rejoicing. Do you have joy today? I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me today, this morning, and in these next few moments. Simple. If you're a follower of Jesus and there's something out of sync between you and God, I invite you, as we did last week, to repent before Him. The altar is open. Ministers will be here. I invite you to turn to God with your whole heart. Rend your heart, not your garment. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you're uncertain if you're a follower of Christ, we rejoice in those who are baptized because it's a symbol and a picture of the new life that they have in Christ. And maybe you're here today and you don't have that new life. Maybe you're religious or moral, but you are separated from God by your sin and the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to see that your only hope is to put your life in the hands of Jesus. If that's who you are, then today I invite you to come to Christ. And if you're online and you have questions about becoming a follower of Jesus or that's your heart's desire, text Jesus to the number on the screen or email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. If you're in the room today and you know that you need need to become a follower of Jesus to cross the line of faith, to become a follower of Christ, again, you can text Jesus to that number or you can email pastor at First Norfolk or you can come and talk to one of the ministers here at the front or you can go to the next step station and say, I need to become a follower of Christ. Whatever commitment God makes God is calling you to make today, I invite you to make it with a clear understanding of who God is. He is sovereign. He is the Lord our God. So let's respond to Him in obedience. This altar will be open. Ministers will be waiting. Now Father, Have your way with us. We pray, oh God, that even now you would answer our heart's cry with your provision, a provision of your love. May we be satisfied fully in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.